to see. Peter didn't say, Jesus, you're the one that has the compassion or you're the one that has the miracles. He said, Jesus, you're the one who has the words of eternal life. The word of God, brothers and sisters and friends, is the foundation of our faith. The Bible tells us in Romans 10 verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is to say that whatever our faith consists of, whatever you believe, whatever your convictions are, those things ought to find their root, they ought to find their source in the scriptures. That is what we call the doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture. The idea that everything that God wants us to know and to believe and to practice, all of it comes from this book. That is a controversial idea today. It's always been a controversial idea, but especially so it seems today because we run into people in our experience that are trying to find all kinds of information and they're making decisions from a lot of different sources. Some people even claim that they are receiving supernatural revelation themselves, that God is speaking to them directly. Or maybe they claim that, that some religious leader is telling them things that may be different from what's written here but he's such a good person and he seems to have authority and I'm going to listen to that person. Our faith, brothers and sisters and friends, must come completely and solely from the information that's found in the Bible. That's the sufficiency of scripture. I'm gonna back the screen up just one slide for just a second. We're gonna look at this passage again in a moment. But Woodrow read just a moment ago, that all scripture is breathed out by God. And notice that it's profitable, it's useful for us. Notice in verse 17 on the screen that the man of God, I hope that's you. I hope that you wanna be a person who belongs to God and live for God. The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture, that the Bible and the information that are con that's contained in the Bible, that that's enough to make us pleasing to God, to help us to know God's will, to show us what God expects of our lives. The Bible can make us complete. You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life, Peter said. We believe that with all of our hearts as a congregation here. We believe that we ought to open up the Bible and give an answer from the Bible to every religious question, every question about conviction and belief and values. All of those things ought to come from this book. And if our source is somewhere else or something else and it conflicts with this book, this book wins out. That's the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Let me do this this morning. We're going to explain what this doctrine means, the idea that the scriptures are enough, that they're sufficient. And then we're going to turn our attention to maybe some challenges that people have, have put up against the idea that the scriptures can make us complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
And then we'll talk about what some of the benefits and blessings are if we would just believe and practice the doctrine that the scriptures can make us wise unto salvation, that they can tell us fully what God intends for our lives. If we believed that, what would change? What would happen? So number one this morning, let's talk about the explanation of this idea, the sufficiency of Scripture. Sometimes you'll hear people call it the all-sufficiency of Scripture. I'm going to lay it out for you this way. I'm going to explain the idea of the sufficiency of Scripture by saying this. Today, 2023, the Bible is man's only source of divine verbal information. If you want to hear a message from God and to know for a fact that it is from God, if that's what you're looking for, you must, must, must open the pages of the Bible and read it and discern it properly according to where it's found in Scripture. It is the Bible's, it is the man's only source of divine verbal information. Let me give you some qualifications here or some explanations of those words. Divine. We're talking about information that comes from God. I want to hear from God. Really doesn't matter a whole lot what I think about things. Doesn't matter really a whole lot what you think about things. What really matters is, what does he say? And where can I go to hear what God says about my life and about my salvation and about what the church is supposed to be? Where can I go? The Bible is where we go. It is a divine source of information. Not only that, but it is where we look for verbal information. Did you know that when somebody speaks or writes, that words are vehicles of thought? I'm speaking to you right now, and the thoughts that are being processed in my heart and mind are being communicated to you, hopefully so that you can clearly understand the thoughts that are going on in my head. That's what words do. Words carry my thoughts to you. How do we know that we are hearing God's thoughts? We need words. It's not just a feeling, it's not just an experience, it's not just being in the presence and and feeling a certain way that matters. I want to hear from God and I want him to explain the experiences I'm having. You know, we get that backwards. We take our experiences and then we go and, and we try to interpret the Bible based on our experiences. That's not the way to do it. The Bible interprets our experiences. The Bible tells us that whether what we're doing is pleasing to God or not. And so we need words from God. The next word that I wanna highlight is the word today. Right now, where we live in history, did you know as you read the Bible that there was a time in history when God sometimes, but not always, spoke directly to people. He spoke directly to Jeremiah and to Elijah and to Adam and to Abraham. He spoke directly to Paul on some occasions in the New Testament. But even Paul wrote that there was coming a time when revelations and prophecies and supernatural knowledge were going to cease. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 8, 9, and 10. Tongues and prophecies and miraculous knowledge, those things were going to cease. And that which is perfect, the words that have been written in this word, in this book, that which is perfect has come. God has spoken in other ways. He he revealed himself in dreams to men like Joseph and in visions to men like Daniel. But now in these last days, the Hebrews writer tells us, God has spoken to us by his son. 
Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. And today, if you want to know God's will, don't look for his will in a dream or a vision or some kind of extra communication from some other source. The sufficiency of scripture teaches that God has spoken to us and he said everything he's got to say to us verbally in this book. Only, God is not verbally speaking in any other way. That is not to say that God does not hear and answer prayers. It does not to say that God is not involved in providence in our lives. That is not to say those things, but when it comes to words that communicate to us what God desires of our lives, the Bible. That's the only verbal source of information that we have from God today. That's the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Consider some passages that support and, and explain this idea. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17, we looked at just a moment ago. Let's look at it again. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's verbal information from God, and it is profitable. It's useful. It's not just a bunch of lofty ideas that don't have any relevance. God gave us the Bible so that our lives would be transformed and changed. That's exactly why this book was written in the first place, so that you'll be different, so that you won't live with the values you have now, that you'll change your values, you'll repent into the will of God. That's what the Bible does. It's profitable for doctrine and correction and reproof and training in righteousness so that you, the man, the woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. Everything God wants us to do to please him and to know him and to be faithful to him is found, those ideas are found in the pages of scripture. You don't need to look or seek his will anywhere else. It's found in the Bible. Or if that's not true, this passage is wrong. Think about the implications. If I can get God's will someplace else, if I can discern God's plan for my life somewhere else, this is not true. Which is it? Jude verse three, beloved, although I wanted to write about our common salvation, Jude says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. When he says the faith there in Jude verse three, he's talking about the body of truth, the gospel, the message. It's not my faith and your faith that he's talking about. He's saying contend for the message, the gospel. That was once for all delivered to the saints. That phrase, once for all, has an air of finality about it. This is what God wants to say to the world and he's delivered it to the church. He's delivered it to the saints. And our job, our task is to live it and then to teach it to others so that they can live it too. Once for all, given the sufficiency of scripture. Second Peter one verse three, his divine power, that's speaking of God, has granted to us Christians all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. What he's saying in 2 Peter 1 is that you can know what it means to please and live and serve God. All things pertaining to life and godliness have been given to us by Scripture. And again, when Paul spoke to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20 verse 27, 
He told them, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Everything God has to say to you, I told you. Backing up to verse 20 in that same passage, how did I not shrink? I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. That's the same word we read in 2 Timothy 3.17. The scripture is profitable, useful. And I taught you in public and from house to house. Christianity is a taught religion. We must listen to the words of scripture and then do what they say. Because today the Bible is man's only source of divine verbal information. God is speaking to you. He is speaking to me. He speaks by means of this book. When we think about the implications of this, the idea that God has said everything he's got to say verbally, he's written it all in this word, in this book. The doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture indicates that we have everything we need now in order to believe in Jesus. Think about it, John 20 verses 30 and 31. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the son of God and believing you may have life through his name. Why did John write his book? So that you can believe that you can know who Jesus is and what, he de- what he's done for you and, and, and how he wants a relationship with you. You have everything you need to believe in Jesus. There is no additional information necessary in order to come to a faith and a conviction that Jesus is who he claims to be and that he can save you from your sin and wants to desperately. We have everything we need to know the answer to the question, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16 verse 30. You want to know what they said over and over in the book of Acts? In response to that kind of question, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Acts 2.38. Now, why do you wait? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Acts 22, verse 16. The Bible gives us verbal information from God to share with us, to tell us how somebody becomes a Christian. It's not about, well, when did I feel goosebumps and when did I feel the hair stand up on the back of my neck? It's about listening to his word and letting his word explain our experiences. Next, we have everything we need in scripture to know God. You got your Bibles, look at Hebrews 8. We've looked at this passage in past lessons. It's just such an important passage when it comes to the sufficiency and the authority of scripture, Hebrews chapter eight, and I want you to look at verses 10 and 11. Somebody might say, but brother John, I know, I feel in my heart that I know God. I, I, I just know, listen to what the Bible tells you. Hebrews chapter eight and verse 10. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put, he's talking about the New Testament now, the new covenant where we live. Watch this, Hebrews 8 verse 10, about halfway down. I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. And they shall not teach, verse 11, each one is neighbor and each one is brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. What does he mean in verse 11? He's just carrying forward the thought. When people take the Bible, when they take the verbal information that they get from God and they write it on their hearts and they write it in their minds, 
We come into a relationship with God as we take those ideas and we live them. We have everything we need to know God, to have a relationship with him based on what we find in scripture. We have everything we need to know that we're worshiping acceptably. Those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. John 4 verse 24. You know, it matters how we worship. It matters what we choose to do in worship. How can we know that we've pleased God? How can we know that he is glad about what we've done? By opening the pages of scripture and asking, Lord, what is your will when we worship you? The doctrine of sufficiency of scripture, the scriptures give us everything we need for life and godliness. Second, this morning, challenges. There are a lot of people that don't believe what I just said. They don't believe the idea that the scripture makes us complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. And so people begin to seek authority in other places. I'm going to mention just a few. I am not trying to be unkind. I'm just stating a fact. This is the way many choose to live their lives. Many choose to abide by not only the Bible, but also what they call or refer to as church tradition. If the church has always done this, if people who were sincere in their faith have always done this, it must be okay. It must be all right for me to do it. Jesus says in Mark 7, verse 7, talking about the Pharisees, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, the traditions that they practice, they nullify, they negate the word of God, Jesus said. Be careful. If the church is doing something by tradition that's different from what this book tells us to do, this book needs to win out. This book needs to be our source of authority. And we need to abandon traditions that are unbiblical. How about papal or authoritative decrees of religious leaders? Many find authority in those things. If someone that we regard as a holy individual or somebody that is especially close to God, if they say it, it must be true and it must be something that I need to follow as well. But what if somebody, who by the way, there is no authority for them being in that role in the first place, what if somebody says something and it's different from what this book teaches? Where's our authority? Colossians 1 verse 18 <coughs> speaks about how Jesus is the head of his church. He's the one that is preeminent. He's the one that is the fullness of everything that God wants us to do. He's the one that we ought to heed in all things. Many people in our world seek authority in other spiritual books or writings. I have in mind especially books like the Book of Mormon or Doctrine and Covenants, for example, or books that are spiritual in nature that, are, that purport to be a revelation from God, additional information that nobody ever, the Bible doesn't talk about. And, and many of the things that are in those books contradict what this book has to say. 
can't find your authority there. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, the Bible tells us that if someone comes and preaches any other gospel than the one that was received by the Galatians, let him be accursed. Let him be anathema, cut off. But many people seek authority in those things. Incidentally, same point, same principle. Many people read the work of religious Bible scholars and they may well be very knowledgeable about a lot of things biblically. There's much that might be profited and gleaned from what they've written. But if what they're saying is different from what is found in scripture, they are not the authority. Scriptures are. Many people seek authority and God speaking directly to them. I've encountered in my life a lot of people that say, you know, the Lord was speaking to me last night and he said, or I was, I was sitting in my room, someone might say, and, 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 and many months ago, and the Lord laid a message on my heart and he said to me, and then they'll tell me what they believe God said. Brothers and sisters and friends, two questions. Question number one, what's he saying? If God is speaking directly to someone, what's he saying? Is it different from what's in here? And if it's not, why not just read what's here? And number two question, doesn't this concept of God speaking directly to me, directly to you, doesn't this concept undermine everything that we just read and the passages that were on the screen a few moments ago, that the Bible, the, the scriptures are breathed out by God and they're able to make you complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work? 1 John 4 verse 1 says, if someone comes to you and says, God spoke to me, don't believe every spirit. The Bible says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Many seek authority in a special leading of the Holy Spirit. The idea, the concept that as I live my life that I just receive nudgings and I receive, um, you know, promptings and things like that. And that's guiding me where I need to go and showing me where God wants me to be and things like that. Ephesians 6 verse 17 enlightens us on that point. It says that the sword of the spirit is, among all things, the word of God. Sword of the spirit is God's word. Many people seek authority in their feelings and experiences. This is the biggest one, in my opinion, that we, we're challenged by. Living in Katy, Texas in 2023, all those are concerns. All those are not valid places for us to seek authority for what we do and what we believe and what we practice. But this last one, if it feels like it's spiritual, if my experience was a good one, was a positive one, it can't be wrong, can it? It can't, be, it can't be displeasing to God, can it? If I felt good when I did it and it was something that, that seemed like it was spiritual and seemed like it was enjoyable, what's wrong with that? I say it again, and if you're taking notes, write this down. The Bible interprets our experiences. Our experiences do not interpret the Bible. And we live in a day and a time when the vast majority of people that want to be close to God, and I don't doubt their sincerity, but the vast majority of people take their experience, how I felt, how it seemed, it seemed good to me, and lots of people were encouraged and excited and, and those kinds of things, and they say, well, it must be okay then. Our experiences do not interpret the Bible and tell us what's okay and what's not okay with God. The Bible interprets our experiences.
In Acts 17, verse 11, the noble Bereans, they searched the scriptures daily to see whether the things that they were hearing were true. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, prove all things, hold fast only that which is good. Let the Bible interpret your life. Don't do it the other way around. Those are some challenges to the idea that scriptures can make us complete, can tell us how to please God and serve him and worship him acceptably. What would be the blessings and effects if we, as the people of God, if we once again recaptured the idea and the notion that the scriptures are sufficient, that the scriptures are God's divine verbal revelation to us to tell us what his will is, what would be the result as a congregation and as individuals, here we go. If we accept the sufficiency of scripture, we will do Bible things in Bible ways. In Churches of Christ, we spend a lot of time studying the book of Acts, and I think with good reason. We want to be the same kind of church that we read about in the pages of scripture. And if we find that we're deviating from or we're abandoning some of the ideas that are found in Acts and Ephesians and Romans and other passages in the New Testament, then we want the New Testament to change us, not us change the New Testament. We will do Bible things in Bible ways. And not only that, we will call Bible things by Bible names. We'll use Bible terminology to describe ourselves and to describe our roles and to describe our function as we serve God. Doesn't it make sense that we'd want to do that? I want to do Bible things in Bible ways and call Bible things by Bible names. We will, if we believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, give Bible answers to Bible questions. When somebody asks, what must I do to be saved? Or how can I pray about this situation? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we would open up the pages of Scripture and give a Bible answer to the question? Doesn't it make sense that that would be the response of people that believe in the sufficiency of Scripture? That this book is able to equip us and reprove us and rebuke us and exhort us so that we can be complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. If we accepted the sufficiency of Scripture, we would find unity in obeying God. Jesus prays exactly that in John 17, verses 20 through 22. Father, I pray that they, the disciples, may all be one. And in that passage, he talks about because they believe the words of the apostles, the words of those that I have sent. We will find unity, brothers and sisters and friends, when the Bible, not tradition, not additional revelation, not church authorities, when the Bible becomes our standard, our sole standard of authority, we'll find, we'll find unity biblically, religiously, but not before, not unless. If we accept the sufficiency of Scripture, we'll have blessed assurance. I know a lot of you want blessed assurance. I sure do. I want to know Without a doubt in my heart, I want to know that I'm living in a way that pleases God. Can I show you one more passage before we close? 1 John 5, 13. Open your Bible there. 1 John 5, 13. I want to know that I'm right with God. I want to know that I'm pleasing Jesus Christ. I want to know that if I died today, that my eternal destiny is secure. I want to know those things. Don't you? 1 John 5, 13, listen, I don't have to hope and wish, neither do you. 
It says in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Isn't that interesting? What did John do? He wrote these things, verbal, divine information. For what purpose? That you and I can have assurance. Oh, and the promises don't stop there. You can read on for your homework in verse 14 about how God promises that he hears us when we pray. Many other blessings come. How do we know those things are true? Because the Bible is able to make us complete, thoroughly furnished for every good work. And so my question for you this morning is simply this. What are you basing your life on? Your beliefs and convictions and opinions and, and, and persuasions, the things that you value, the things that you'd go to the mat for, the things that you'd, that, that you'd stand for, even if there were conflict. Where do you get those from? Where do you get those beliefs and values from? I submit to you this morning that God expects his people to get their beliefs and their values and their convictions and their practices and their teachings solely from the pages of Scripture. And I believe that that's what you want as well. What must I do to be saved? The Bible says for someone who wants to be saved, they must believe in Jesus Christ. John 8, 24. They must repent of their sin, Acts 2, verse 38. They must confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Romans 10, 9 and 10. They must be baptized, immersed in water for the remission of sins. Romans 6, verses 3 through 6. We did not get those thoughts or concepts from traditions or dogmas. They come right out of the pages of Scripture. If you need to be saved today, we'd love to help you do that. If you want to respond and ask for prayers this morning, we'd love to be able to pray with you and be blessed to do so. If we can help you in any way, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?